My name is uh, Yaakov Bronstein. I'm one of the uh, members, part-time members of the Kolo. And uh, this evening's discussion is about the, uh, a little bit of historical background about the two temples that the Jewish people had and the ramification of the temple's destruction and what they had for uh, what, how it, it affects us today. So, as far as historical background from a Jewish perspective, uh, through the eyes of the rabbis. So, the Talmud tells us in Tractate Sanhedrin, page 96a, the Talmud says, uh, and the Talmud says that there's really all of history can be divided into three periods of time. Uh, quoting a medrash called the Ton of the Baal Yahu, the Talmud says that the first 2,000 years of existence of the world are called the 2,000 years of emptiness, followed by 2,000 years of Torah, followed by 2,000 years of the days of the Messiah. So the Talmud is telling us that the world will exist for 6,000 years divided into three periods of 2,000 years each. So the commentary of Rashi makes the calculation that is pertinent to our discussion this evening. And he says that from the first man, Adam Arishon, till Avraham Avinu, the first 2,000 years of emptiness are, is when Avraham Avinu turns 52 years old. When he's 52 years old. Rashi, in his commentary, explains that we have a tradition. The Talmud tells us in Tractate Yom, page 9a, that we have a tradition that he was 52 years old when the period of Torah started. After the first 2,000 years were over. Now, how do we know this? Because the Torah tells us in Parshas Lech Lecha, the Torah tells us that Abraham Avinu and his wife Sarah began to teach Torah. Yes, and Nefesh Hashem the translation of the words are, and the souls that they made in the city of Koran. And the, the Aramaic translation says there that they actually brought people closer to the Word of God, the Shabidul Araisa. They brought them close to the, to the Word of God. And that was sort of the beginning, the onset of the Torah, the Torah period. And, and Avraham Avinu is 52 years old in his starting then. So this brings us to, this is the beginning for us, this period of time, the period of time of Torah, as the rabbis call it, brings us to our, our historical background through the eyes of the rabbis. And it goes like this. So Avraham Avinu is 52. We know that he has a son, Yitzchak, when he's 100, which is 48 years later. 48, Yitzchak is born when Avraham is 148 years later. Now the period of time, remember, starts when Avraham is 52. So 48 years we have in that period of time. Then Yitzchak is born and he lives for 60 years until he has a son, Yitzchak, uh, Yaakov, which is 60 plus 48 is 108 years. Then Yaakov lives 130 years until he enters Mitzrayim, until he enters Egypt. The Torah tells us in Parshas Vayigash that Avra, Yaakov told Paro, I am 130 years old when they first met, when he came there. 
So 130 plus 100, uh, 108 is 238. Now the Jewish people, the Jewish people are in Egypt for, in the triumph for 210 years. So that's 448 years from the period of the time of the starting of the Torah. Then the Jewish people live, leave Mitzrayim and they embark on their journey, go to the land of Israel and build the Beis HaMikdash, build the first temple. That takes 480 years. So 480 plus, where are we holding? We have the number 480. Um, plus 448 is 948. Right. That's when the base. That's when the. That's when the. Um, the temple is built. So, the temp. The first temple is built with much fanfare. The Talmud tells us in Tractate Moikot on page nine a, that it was built seven days before the holiday of Sukkot, which meant that Shlomo Amelach, King Solomon, who built the temple, celebrated such a celebration, and we know that uh, seven days before Sukkot, Yom Kippur takes place in the middle of that. They suspended Yom Kippur for that year. It was such a happy occasion. No fasting. Eating and drinking and partying the Jewish way with the rabbis. Okay? So the temple stands, the first base on Mikdash stands for 410 years. Okay? 410 years, which gives us, if I have the calculation right, uh, 928 years from the time that Abraham starts to teach Torah. Right? The temple stands for 110 years and then it gets destroyed. The reason why it gets destroyed, the Talmud tells us, is because of the Talmud Intracted, you on page 9b, tells us because of the three cardinal sins. Avoid the Zara, idol worship, Shvi Chazdamim, murder, Gilea rise, and illicit relationships. So the temple gets destroyed. Then, 70 years is the first exile. 70 years of Golis Babel, 70 years of the Babylonian exile. Then the second base on Migdash is built, the second temple is built. The second temple stands for 10 years more. And then the first temple, 420 years. How long did it take to make the second one? How long did it take to make it? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how long it took them to build it. But uh, it stood for 420 years. Probably it was pretty quickly because we're counting that in the calculation that it was within the same year. It stood for 420 years and then it got destroyed. The Talmud tells us in the same... Tracted Yuma, page 9b, that the reason why it was destroyed was because of sinas chinam, because of baseless hatred. Now, as we know, uh, the Chavetz Chaim, in his book, the Chavetz Chaim, about Lashon Hora, about uh, bad speech about other people, wants to claim that baseless hatred was Lashon Hara, was uh, bad speech about other people. That's why the second temple was destroyed. His claim is based upon the, the Talmud statement that since the first Based on the Talmud statement again in Tractate Yom, page 9b, since the first temple was destroyed because of the three cardinal sins, and the second temple was destroyed because of baseless hatred, that means that baseless hatred is just as bad as the three cardinal sins.
right? So, and the Talmud also tells us in Tractate Erechen in page 15b that bad speech about other people is also equivalent to the three cardinal sins. So, by transitive property, if both Lash and Hara, bad speech about other people, and basis hatred are equal to the three cardinal sins, that means that they're equal to each other. Therefore, Nicholas Chaim claims that the second temple was destroyed because of because of bad speech, because of that causes hatred. This, of course, uh, basis hatred. We know from the story that the Talmud in Tractate Gittin uh, relates to us on page fifty-five B. It was the story of Kamsa Bakamsa. Basis hatred was. Was, was, was the cause. Man came to a party and another man embarrassed him by throwing him out. Uh, Torah, the Talmud tells this story at length. So it was an unhappy situation. So after we make all the calculations, this accounts for 1,828 years when the second temple gets destroyed, which leaves us with 172 years until the times of Torah are done. So we have the first 2,000 years of emptiness, the second 2,000 years of Torah, and now we find ourselves in the period of time of the days of the Messiah. And the Talmud says that the Messiah has not yet come. The Mashiach has not yet come. Obviously we know that because we haven't seen him. That's the period of time that we find ourselves in. And the total history will be 6,000 years. That's the historical background from the uh, from the from the rabbi's point of view. Now, of course, the root cause of the destruction of the temple, as we know, is the story of the spies. Talmud tells us in tractate Tainus on page twenty-nine a, and Sanhedrin page one hundred four b, that when the spies came back. And they said their report. They said that the that the, the land was good, according to Nachmanides, uh, in his commentary in Parshas Shlach, and Nachmanides in his commentary in Parshas Dvarim. They said that the land was good, but they claimed that the people living there were too strong and too big and too awesome that they, it was impossible to conquer them. They were scared. They were scared, uh, and they lacked confidence in the fact that God would be able to deliver them and to overcome this uh, mighty people that lived in the land of Israel. Who were they? Different nations. Different uh, non-Jewish nations that lived there. The Canaanites, etc. Giant, big, different giants, all kinds of different... That, uh, Parsha descri- the, the Torah describes them. So, so the reaction of the Jewish people is, is that they cried that night. So the, the, that night was the ninth of Av. That night was the ninth of Av. So Hashem said, Hashem said, you cried for no reason. I'll make you cry for all generations. For no re- for, I'll make you cry for and you'll have a reason to cry, as the Talmud says. And we know, the Talmud says that the first and second temple were destroyed on the ninth of Av. Which is, which is Tisha B'Av, are the commemoration day, the day of remembrance, when we commemorate the destruction of the temple. That's the root cause of the destruction of the temple. 
So the question, the question that we are addressing this evening, based upon this historical background, is is that how does that root cause relate to us? How does it relate to the fact that the temple is no longer standing? And what is it that we are mourning? And what is it that we are missing? The fact that the temple is not there. So the first question we have to ask ourselves, as we said all of these facts rather quickly, is what is the temple? What is the Beis HaMikdash? What is it all about? What is Israel all about in the city of Jerusalem and the temple that sits there? What's the point of it all? What's the difference between that and Phoenix, Arizona and uh, any other place where one might live? So, Nachmanides in his Ramban, in his commentary in Parshish Truma, actually states the point of the temple, which is clear and permeates all of the writings of the rabbis, very emphatically and very clearly. He says that the epitomal experience that Jewish people had with their experience with God was, of course, the Sinai experience, the, Sin- the, the experience of the receiving at the Torah at Mount Sinai. When God appeared to all the Jewish people, and all the Jewish people saw God appear to them. And there was a relationship of God giving His instruction of the purpose of existence and the keeping of the 613 commandments and the study of the Torah. This was the epitomal experience that the Jewish people had. Their connection with their Creator, their connection with their, so to speak, director, and his statement of mission of what he wants from them and his teaching. This experience is so, says the Ramban, is so important in the character of the Jewish people, both on a national level and on an individual level, is is that once it is achieved, it can never be left. And so therefore God created an apparatus. God created a, a module of where the Sinai experience can remain with the Jewish people forever. And that says the says the the Ramban is the Mishkan is the tabernacle, it is the Beis Hamikdash. The Beis Hamikdash is really uh, an encapsulated, so to speak, Sinai experience. The Ark is in the middle of the tabernacle, it's in the middle of the of the of the temple uh, the 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 God's presence was in the middle of the mountain Hashem God communicates with Moshe through the ark through the cherubs the Kruvim that stand on top of the ark and God communicated with the Jewish people with through through the mountain so the Jewish people surround the ark as they travel through the desert. The Jewish people live around the base of Migdash as they live in the land of Israel. So too the Jewish people were around the mountain when they had the divine revelation the, of, of God speaking to them. So, so what happens is, is that after Sinai, the Jewish people take the Sinai experience with them through the desert and eventually take the Sinai experience into the in, 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 in the land of Israel and rebuild 
the temple, where it is with them forever. That is what the temple is about. And as long as, as long as the Beis Hamikdash, whichever one may be, the first one, the second one, the third one, whichever one it might be, is missing, then the Sinai experience is missing from the Jewish people. Meaning that the close relationship with our Father in Heaven, with the Master of the Universe, that the Jewish people used to have, is missing when there is no temple. That is what we mourn. That is what we are mourning on Tisha B'Av. Now the question is, what is the nature of this close relationship? Of course, that question is really impossible to answer, because the nature of this close relationship is, so to speak, all of Judaism, right? The whatever, whatever is involved in the in the, in the whole of Judaism, it's all missing. It's not the same. But if there's one point that we can look at, that point perhaps maybe can be emblematic of the uh, of of what is really really missing when we don't have the temple the impact that it has on the diaspora today and the impact that it has on us today based upon this Ramban that we have, that we have said. So, the, what is that? What is that element? So, the Talmud tells us in Tractate Yuma, page 21b, that already there was a difference between the first temple and the second temple. It wasn't the same. The first temple had five things that the second temple doesn't have. One of those the ark, for example, was missing in the second temple. The fire that uh, came down was missing in the second temple. Divine inspiration, Ruach HaKodesh, was missing in the second temple. The divine presence was missing in the second temple. Things were not the same. The spiritual level was already... The spiritual level of the Jewish people was already uh, dwindling becoming less and less, becoming less and less because of our relationship becoming less and less, and till the point where we find ourselves today. So the answer lies in what we are missing today is, when we, is in the root cause of why it happened in the first place. So if we get back to, if we get back to the sin of the spies, if we get back to the sin of the spies, and then the question is, what was so bad of the fact that the Jewish people cried when they found out that they cannot go into the land of Israel? What was the issue that made Hashem, so to speak, who's not a human being, obviously, Kivayochli is not a human being, so sensitive to, to, uh, to, this, to, this, uh, to this issue? That he said that you cry tonight, you'll cry forever. Not forever, but you'll cry until the Mashiach comes. So, what is it that happens when Hashem, when God says, I'm going to take you into the land of Israel. And then the Jewish people cry when they think that they cannot come there. They think that they cannot conquer the giants and the mighty strong people that are in the land of Israel. What's the problem? The problem is a lack of faith. God says He can do it. And the Jewish people lack the confidence on the simple level of the reading of the text. And according to the explanation of the Ramban, they lack the confidence 
they lack the emuna, they lack the belief in God, the proper belief in God, to be able to help them to conquer the Jewish, conquer the, the land of Israel and to bring them there. What's wrong with lacking confidence? What's, what's wrong with lacking belief? What's wrong with lacking trust? So on a personal level, it is a requirement for all of us to believe in God, that He is in control and that He watches over every single one of our lives and that He, and that he uh, takes care of us, so to speak. And what happens? What does it look like? What is the anatomy of the person who doesn't do that? So the, um, there was a Rosh Hashiva, his name, he was known as the Alter, the Old Man of Navarik. He wrote a book called the Madrega Sodom. And the Madrega Sodom, in the beginning in his discussion in belief in God, he proposes the following idea. He says that belief in God has two benefits. If we may compare it, the two benefits are like this. Let's say a person is very, very strong. Right? So they rely on their strength. There's two benefits in, the strength, in, 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 the, in, in a person being strong. The first benefit is, is that the person has confidence in their strength. Right? If they can't open a jar of pickles, if somebody can't open a jar of pickles, they know how to open it. Right? It's not a problem for them. They don't, have, they don't, they don't suffer any anxiety or, or lack of confidence in the fact that they can open up a jar of pickles. Right? Perhaps maybe their strength can protect them from, from people who try to abuse them or people who try to uh, rob them or people who try to hurt them. They walk through the world with confidence in their strength and their ability. Right? But then, let's say somebody finds out that this person is strong and they want to pay them for their strength, for example. Right? They want to sponsor them. Right? They want to sponsor a guy. He's going to jump from... Uh, from a hundred thousand feet in the air, from a, balloon, a, heli, a helium balloon, and I'll sponsor it. I'm Red Bull, uh, the company, and I want to sponsor. It. I want to pay for it because this person is strong. He's, you know, he has super, he has nerves of steel. He can, he can jump from uh, from this balloon and fly at five hundred miles an hour. It's not a problem for him, right? So, as a side benefit, he gets to get paid for his strength. Says the Alton Navarik, right? He not only is he confident in, in moving through life with his strength, but also he gets paid for the strength. Getting paid is a side benefit. It's not why he does it. It's not it's not it's 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 not who he is. He is a strong man, but he also garners the fact that he can that he can make money out of being strong. So says the the the, the altar of Navarik that a person who has belief in God also has two things. He has a way to live. And he also has side benefits of living. A way to live, he says. Now, this is already, amongst the Jewish scholars, this is already a dispute exactly what it is that I that believe in God. The Alter Navardic actually takes the position that if I believe strong enough in God, then whatever I believe that God will do for me, that God will do. The other is like the Chazonish, for example, in his Emunah Bitachin says, no, that belief in God doesn't mean that whatever I believe God will do. It just means that whatever I believe that whatever is happening to me is being done by God. If we take it either way, we take it the Alter Navarik's way, or we take it the Chazonish's way, a person who has belief and trust in God moves through the world. He has a way to live, or she has a way to live. What is the way to live? Is it that they know that that whatever is happening to them is whatever is happening to them is being decreed. That's how I move through the world. That is just another 
another scene in the in the play. It's just another uh, a challenge that God has in store for me. And whatever happens is just being placed in front of me as a test for me to take care of. Or you say like the author of Navardic, you know, if I live this way, these are the things that are going to happen to me. This is what this is the way that life is going to deem itself. What's the that's I have a way of life. I have a way of living when I have a trust in God. The benefit, so to speak, the payment for that is, is that there is no anxiety. There is no stress. A person who is who is stressed out, who thinks that it's their it's their uh, abilities, it's their strength that gets them what they need, then they're always nervous that perhaps maybe they didn't do enough in that particular situation to get what they need. Perhaps maybe even if they did enough, there's going to be circumstances in life which will come up and and and, and change the outcome of their of their of their trying to do enough. Perhaps maybe if they're dependent on a person to do something for them, that person may be dependent on another person, and that person may be dependent on another person, and who knows if it's going to come through. So the person is always constantly moving through life with anxiety and stress because maybe who knows what's going to happen when they step outside the door of the confines of their home, when they drive a car in the street. This is this. It's it's it never ends. A person who has trust in God understands that it doesn't depend on so-and-so, and it doesn't depend on my actions, and it doesn't depend on, the, on, on a random set of circumstances. My life depends on whatever God decides it's gonna, what's going to happen to me. Yeah. That's, what, that, that, that's, what it's, uh, that's how it works. And so the payment is, the payment, so to speak, for the strong man is a stress-free life. I have a way, a system of living, and also I live stress-free. And that is the relationship that I have with Hashem. That's the closeness that I have with God. That in itself is the closeness to God. Because what do I have a stress-free life? Because I have a life. Because I am with God. I am with Him. And when I have a life filled with stress and lack of confidence and lack of understanding that there's somebody else in control, then I live in a random world without a God. So trust in God is emblematic of a relationship with God. Therefore, it is imperative for a Jewish person on a personal level, says the altar of Navarrete, to have emuna, to have bitachan, to have trust in Hashem. Because there is no other way to move through life in a successful manner and in an understanding manner, in a stress-free manner, then to have trust in God, in the way that we just explained. So when the spies come, and they give the report about what's happening in the land of Israel, and the Jewish people say, and the Jewish people say, oh, what are we going to do? How are we going to get, uh, how are we gonna get uh, to the land of Israel? And they show that deep down inside there is a lack of a trust in God. There is a stress, there is a nervousness that He's not going to take care. Then automatically it's evident that the closeness to God does not exist. And since the temple 
the base Hamikdash is the relationship, the closeness to God. It's the Sinai experience, as we explained. Then it's inevitable that it's not going to be there, because the base Hamikdash can only be there when the relationship is there, when the temple. It's not that, the, that there's an arbitrary punishment that God has deemed on the Jewish people to spread them through, the, through, 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 uh, through all the four corners of the earth and take away the temple. No, it's just, as, as they say, if we may use a cliche, it is a matter of consequence. When the relationship of the closeness and trust is missing, then there is no temple. It's just sixth and zones, and therefore they are not there either. And so it's 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 the that's why the story of the spies is the root cause of the destruction of the temple always throughout history because it is the kernel of 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 of, of lack of trust in God that festers in on a national and a personal level of the Jewish people it's the lack of relationship and understanding that God is amongst us so when we sit on the floor on the ninth of Av, and we commemorate Tishabov, and we think about the 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 the, the base Hamikdash, what we're really thinking about is where is the relationship? Where is the relationship with Hashem? Where is the relationship with God? And in the thinking of that relationship itself, this is the way that the rabbis have decreed that we will build the relationship from the dust and from the ashes. The way to build the relationship is to focus on what's missing, to focus on what can be corrected and what can be made better. In our personal lives, in our trust, in Hashem, in our understanding that we don't live in a perfect world and that it is not normal for a Jew to be American. It's not normal for a Jew to be Italian. It's not normal for a Jew to be Canadian. It's normal for a Jew to be Jewish in the land of Israel with a temple. It's not even normal for a Jew to be Jewish living in Israel without a temple. Because as long as there is no Beis Amidash, we have that gap in our relationship and therefore God is not in our midst. So that is what we mourn on Tisha B'Av. That is the That is the issue. That is what we are lacking. And therefore it impacts everything that we do. Therefore, it impacts our lives. It, it impacts us as a, as, a, as a people, and it impacts us as individuals. So, so we're always constantly striving. We're always constantly striving to build ourselves. And that's why it's been. That's why it's been such a long period of time, and we still haven't forgotten. That's why we still have the rabbis and their wisdom Instituted the holiday of Tishabov in order that we should never forget, in order that there should be a system and a mechanism for us to show God and for ourselves that we haven't forgotten and that we still want to get closer and that we await to have that, so to speak, stress free life, a way of living in the relationship with Hashem, knowing. That he is that he is there with us, and that we are connected to him, and that whatever happens to us is in his control. That's what we wanted to share this evening. Any questions? Except for one slight little thing, that free will. Yes. 
What about it? Free will. So you can't just let your your world go. I would think and assume that God's going to take care of you all the way through because you have the will, you have the power to go in whichever direction. It's true that we have free will. That is a that is a base for that is the basis of, of Judaism, they have free will. The Talmud says it in at least three places in the Talmud. tells us that we have free will. Three different places. Um, <coughs> one of them, Tractate Nida, page 16b, that we have free will. Free will, though, is a matter of choices that we make. For example, a person doesn't have a choice on whether or not they get sick. The circumstances in which a person finds themselves, in the country that they are born, they don't have a choice. The choices that we have are only within the circumstances that we find ourselves. The circumstances that we don't choose. And so from that perspective, from that perspective, there's no contradiction to what we're saying. What we are saying is dependent on our choices. Our relationship with, with Hashem with God is dependent on the things that we choose. Do we choose to follow the Torah and the mitzvahs, or do we not choose to follow the Torah and the mitzvahs? But where we choose to do it, and what are the tools that are given to us, that's not our choice. That Those tools are given to us. Is that sufficiently uh, addressed the uh, question, or not? I'll accept that. Okay. Great. But it's your... Interpretation. Okay. I that's, think that's fair. Yeah. I mean, uh, as a matter of fact, you know, Rabbi Tukashinsky wrote a book called Geshar uh, Chaim, the, the, the Bridge of Life. And in the volume three of that work, he says that a human being is only his choices. There is nothing that we are except the choices that we make. Because the, the body that we have was given to us by God. The soul that we have was given to us by God. As the Torah says in, in Parshas Bereshis, He breathed into them the soul of life. That soul of life was created by God. There is nothing that we have that isn't God's except for the miracle of free choice that God created that is, comes out somehow of the, 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 op- the two opposites that come together, the soul and the body which God has given us and the choices that we make. That defines us as who we are. If we didn't make choices, then we would be robots. We would be nothing. We'd be no different than the trees outside. Or the cactuses, in this case. Good point. It's a little difficult to think about choices or not, or not having um, after last weekend. Things happened in the Holocaust. People who were totally and completely dedicated. And after that special bond, I couldn't possibly think that Hashem would have anything to do with the destruction of 
those people or any other people. Yeah, so this is a, this is a uh, this is a separate question and a separate topic of discussion. The um, the Talmud tract the Brachos page seven a says that Moshe asked Hashem why is a person righteous and he still gets punished. And you know, there's no real clear answer to that question. The 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 only thing that we can perhaps maybe speculate is or we find it in works such as the way of God by Rabbi Moshe Chaim Latzato is is that God creates a world that needs to look random. The reason why it has to look random is because if it doesn't everybody's gonna be good. Free choice only comes when the choice is free. But if the cards are stacked for good, then there is no free choice because everybody's going to choose something which is good. If evil doesn't have a chance to succeed, then no one is going to choose it. No one is going to no no one is going to decide. That's one thing. Second thing is there are people that do choose evil. And that has nothing to do with God. The person who chooses to do evil is doing it out of their own free choice. That's an unfortunate consequence of creating a world that has free choices, that has people who can choose freely. And so, yes, you're right. Yes, you're right. Although, ultimately, God is the source of everything. Uh, the way of God writes, or the, the author of the, of the book of the way of God writes, that even though that's the case, God is not associated with the bad things that happen in the world. So this is why the Christians came up with the devil. Yes, it could be. You know, we got that book uh, by uh, actually uh, by a Jewish fellow. Why do bad things happen to good people? Um, we have the uh, yes, uh, other. Uh, there's like a titanic battle between the you know the devil and and God or whatever it is, because that's an easy way to to. Uh, to get out of the fact that God is not associated uh, with evil, but then if you say that definition, which is also a separate discussion, a philosophical discussion, then there is no God either. Once, once you create an entity that is evil independently of itself, then, then God it lives within the same space as that entity, and then God is dependent on that entity, and if God is dependent on something, then that's not Judaism, and that's not God, because a God is not, or the definition of God is somebody who is independent and not dependent on anything and cannot be overcome by anyone or anything. So suffice it to say that the world is complex and we don't have the answers or understand everything that happens. I like that. Yeah, I think in uh, Bad Things Happen to Good People, he was trying to make a point that you, you can't blame it, and you can't say to somebody who's in mourning, it's God's will, or the person's in a better place, or it's all for the good, you just don't see it right now. Because what happened to him, maybe he couldn't see anything good come of it, but on the other hand, he wrote the book. Right. In the context of our discussion is is that, you know, in, from a philosophical standpoint or from a very simple standpoint, you know, we, we find ourselves in, in different stages of our lives. 
in different sets of circumstances. And God is always with us. And He is waiting for us to make the proper and right choices. I hope so, because I talk to Him on a daily basis almost. That's good, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so thank I you very much. Thank you.